everybody. I'm Jim Ford. And I'm Dan Kurtzke. And this is The Lantern Cast. Episode 19. Yes, this is our first Blackest Night episode. In this episode, we will be discussing Green Lantern number 43, the prologue to Blackest Night. We'll be discussing Blackest Night number zero, another kind of prologue to Blackest Night. And then we will be discussing Blackest Night number one. But before we get into in continuity Green Lantern, let's take a step out of continuity and just take a little look at Wednesday Comics. Okay. As you might know, it's the new DC weekly series. It's it's only it's only like twelve or thirteen issues, right? It's not it's definitely not fifty two weeks this time around. Just twelve weeks long. It folds out, I believe, three times to about newspaper size. It's got I think like twelve or so different stories. In it, you get a single page of each story, each installment. It's kind of a replicating the newspaper Sunday comic experience, including one starring Hal Jordan. Written by Kurt Busick and drawn by, oh, how do you say this? Joe, all right, it's Q-U-E-R-A, oh, is that an N? God damn it. <laughs> oh my god. I don't know, I kind of like it. It'll probably take me till the end of this whole project to get used to the pacing, just because like you're getting a sum total of one page of a continuing story every week, or however often you get your comics. Right. I think that visually, this whole thing has a kind of fun 50s style, possibly purposely reminiscent of New Frontier a little bit. Like, it doesn't look like Darwin Cook art, but it looks just enough like it in certain spots to kind of to kind of bring on that kind of feel plus it's with the time period it's obviously set in yeah it de- it definitely invokes the darwin cook feel of the comics yeah they do like a lot of little subtle things like like i like how hal's energy is like it's almost extra transparent so if he's flying and he has an aura around him you can see like other objects and energies through his aura because it's it's translucent. It's not like it's not an opaque outline or anything. And like all of his constructs are see-through. So you know he in the second one he has like a big green hand grabbing something, and you can clearly see it inside the hand through the fist. You know. Uh, I I definitely think it's it's a beautiful story. I guess I like you. I'm waiting to see how the story itself is going to go as far as with the pacing going the way it is. I know it's weird. I almost don't know what entirely to say about this overall yet because I think the first two installments on it have been pretty solid. It's I I think like like you know for all the talk about the format and how it's larger size on different quality paper and all that. I think the real hurdle for this is going to be keeping people's attention for however many weeks, because it's not like you have a whole issue each time. Do you think that they may have been better off if they had gone with half as many stories and given them all two pages? Maybe. Although then you would also be chopping in half the creative team, which seems to be like half the draw for this book. You know, I mean... Yeah, well, that's true, but... There's definitely some stories in this that a lot of people are agreeing that maybe are not the best stories in the bunch. 
Yeah, like, I know I've seen online a lot of people pointing at the Wonder Woman one, which, I'll be honest, I haven't read yet. But at the same time, everyone seems to be falling all over themselves, gushing about the uh, Paul Pope Adam Strange. And, you know, I, I thought it was good, but I didn't think it was anything that spectacular. Right, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you on that one. Likewise, with the Wonder Woman, I read the first one, and I actually did kind of like that one, and I do like the art style with that. I can understand why more people weren't really feeling it, but if it meant getting two pages of Green Lantern, I think I could have sacrificed that, or at least the Sergeant Rock strip, because that didn't connect with me at all. I'll tell you why I would love to, to have gotten two pages an issue of is this Flash Iris West thing. Yes. I love this thing. Like, it's so cleverly structured. Because, like, it's... it. I think it's the only one of these strips that has, like, the top half of the page is a Flash strip and the bottom half is an Iris strip. They're telling the exact same story, just from two different characters' perspectives. Each half flows into the next, which then flows into the next set, which flows into the next... Like, I would love to get more of that at once. That's true, yeah. That, that's that's probably my favorite in the series right now. There it is, Wednesday Comics. I think that that's actually, if you're pre-ordering, that's already done, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's all ordered up. Weird. That was, uh, that was completely solicited before anything had come out. I don't know if that's necessarily the best way to do things, though. Only because now you have so many stores that are selling out of this because they ordered conservatively. Yeah. Did um DC do anything special for this? Like, cause I know when they came out with 52 and the weekly comic was pretty much an untested property for this generation, they actually offered, I don't know if it was a full refund, but you know retailers could actually send their unsold copies back. That was an incentive that got retailers to actually take a gamble on it more than they would have. So I don't know if they did anything similar with Wednesday Comics. I would almost guarantee that they didn't. Because if that was the case, if there was no risk involved, then you know a lot of people would have been buying more just because it is an innovative type of story. So whether or not it sells or not, you would want to have more copies just in case. And that way, if you wanted to send them back, that was always going to be an option for you. That wasn't an option here. Oh, well. I hope this project succeeds, because it's cool. I think the, well, the the fact that it's selling out already from, like, the first issues, and chances are it's just going to keep going at that pace, then it's already going to be considered a success in that sense in that if they do more in the future it's going to sell well basically yeah huh. we'll see we'll do a better review of that once all the issues are out yeah i almost can't wait for it to be done because i just want to see like when all said and done what happens you know not even from a story standpoint but just from like performance wise and fan reaction so in other news i picked up the Titans issue that ties into Blackest Night, number 15. Now, you did not get this, Dan? I did not. Which is weird, because I, I know I'm going to be reading the Titans tie-in miniseries, and I 
one of the few people on the internet who isn't bemoaning the fact that there is a Titans tie-in miniseries, but I don't know, I just didn't pick it up. Well, when I first got this, I I flipped through it, and I just kind of said to myself, it's like, ah, this looks kind of lame, I don't think I'm going to like this, and then I actually read it, and I was kind of shocked that this is a story that takes place, you know, for the majority underwater, and I've never been much of an Aquaman fan, and yet here this story, which centers almost solely on the character Tempest, I found myself, like, really, really into it. It was really, really entertaining. Hmm. Like, I assume this is all taking place before Blackest Night number one. Right. Yeah, this is this is completely setting up the Titans Blackest Night miniseries. It gives you a nice little backstory as far as what's been happening to Tempest and what happened to Aquaman, Arthur Curry. Oh, we find out how he died? (laughs) Well, kinda. Oh, god damn it. I haven't been able to find anyone who knows where and when and how Aquaman died. Like, as far as I can tell, DC just stopped having him show up and then one day started saying, yeah, he died. Well, I think it was in that Aquaman series. Like, uh, was it Sword of Aquaman? Or Sword of Atlantis? It, it, it might have been. It's some combination of those words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think he somehow was mutated into the Dweller of the Deep, this mystical-type character who ended up saving the day and ended up killing, you know, being killed or something along those lines. I think it was a very, very convoluted and mysterious way that he died. But in any case, you have this this Titans issue. It basically gives you a nice little overview of what's been happening. It introduces this character. It features a an enemy of Tempest's from the past who ends up dying in this issue because he knows what's going to be happening with Blackest Night, and he wants to be on the winning side. Ooh. So it's it's a lot of foreshadowing as far as what's going to be happening. I don't know. I like it. it. It sets up the Titans book so that I'm actually pretty confident that I'm going to be interested in reading it now. Nice. That was one, like, you really didn't seem to care about before. The Titans? Yeah. Yeah, no, no not at all. Like, that was one of the ones where... I didn't even realize, I didn't even, like, I knew that there were going to be a lot of people coming back to life because they've lost so many members in the past. But, yeah, I didn't really care too much about it. And now after reading this, you know, I've gotten kind of like an inside look in one of the characters, and now I'm really curious as to what's going to happen, and I'm kind of pulling for this character. So shall we take our first break? Let's shall. And when we come back, Blackest Night.
And we're back from break. Yeah, now it's time to jump right in, folks. We're looking at Green Lantern 43, the official prologue to Blackest Night. You know, we start off with a, a pretty cool internal monologue from Scar that leads us right into our main focus, which is Black Hand, and one of the creepier images I've ever seen of him just, like, lying in a grave in the rain, just kind of kind of spooning with skeletons and... He looks just so damn happy. Flashback to uh, Black Hand's life growing up with his family at their at their mortuary, like we saw in um, the Secret Origin story. He kind of progresses through his life. We get his uh, his obsession with taxidermy and with death just keeps getting bigger and bigger until he finally has to go to therapy. And his obsession with death keeps growing as he gets older. Until we get to the point in Secret Origin where Atrocitus breaks in and Hal Jordan and Sinestro have to fight him off. And, you know, throughout all of it, William Hand is hearing what, you know, what you could presume is the voice of almost death talking to him, telling him to run and to, to basically to save himself for what's going to happen later. Uh, we see him make off with uh, Atrocitus's you know, cosmic divining rod that he had in Secret Origin. Basically, go back and read Secret Origin. You need it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. William Hand, he's so obsessed with death and darkness that, you know, ha- having seen Green Lantern's light, he can't get it out of his mind. Like, he saw it, he can't unsee it. So he has to blot it out. So he makes himself a costume takes the divining rod, and he goes out to try and battle Green Lantern and just drain his ring all the time. What I thought was one of the more interesting moments, we get to see what happened to him towards the beginning of the current series, which, you know, he lost his hand in Rebirth, then he got abducted out of the plane by aliens, and we learn that those gremlins, speaking German, are the starlings of Evil Star, another Hal Jordan villain from the old days, which we'll definitely be talking about in a few minutes. Yeah. They kill him while while dissecting him, don't find what they're looking for, so they reanimate him and drop him off back on Earth, and that's when he starts having the visions. We get this great two-page spread of him just eyes wide open as he can see and hear the names of just pretty much every major DC death from the last, like, decade or so. You know, people who died during Infinite Crisis, during Identity Crisis, and just during any random story. Now Death is talking to him more and more and more, and you turn the page again, you get another great spread, exactly the same, except it's all the people who have died and come back. Which is, I think, is going to be a lot more important than we've thought before. All the while, he's making his way back to, you know, his family's mortuary, where in in the scene that is going to pretty much define whether you love or hate this issue, his little brother answers the door and just gets vaporized. Like, Black Hand just kills his brother right there, goes into the dinner table, kills his other brother, his mother, and his father. And then in what I call proof that the page turn has to be timed just right for stuff like this, 
he shoots himself through the head. Falls over dead. Blood pool just pouring out. Then Scar shows up. And then one, like, this I thought was even more disgusting than Black Hand's suicide. Scar just kind of hacks up the first black ring that we see. It puts itself on Black Hand's finger. His wound heals up, so to speak. And he rises as, you know, basically the keeper of the entity of the black. Well. <laughs> okay. What do you think of that? <laughs> I think that the majority of this issue was good. I mean, I'm not going to say that the majority of the issue was great because it basically only dealt with the black hand and nothing else. However, there were a couple of things thrown into this issue that made it amazing. Mm-hmm. So, so let's let's start off with uh, the fact that this is Doug Mankey's first Green Lantern issue. Yes, and I was kind of fearing that a little bit because, you know, I mean... Just the general fact that when you go from one artist to another artist to another artist, and all three of them have just radically different styles, you you, you can rightly expect it to be like a really shaky and jarring transition. But this, I liked a lot. Oh, I liked it a lot. I definitely liked this a lot. I, I think I've seen some Doug Mankey art in the past that I maybe wasn't that big a fan of. And off the top of my head, I can't even remember what it was from. Oh, oh, it was the the Superman Beyond two-issue series. I guess just like Patrick Gleason, he also has that ability to draw people really ugly when it's important to the plot, as opposed to drawing them, you know, very good-looking, you know, when you want to portray them in a positive light kind of thing. Yeah. And, yeah, and when I read that, like, I hadn't made that realization yet. So I was just looking at it like, oh, this is ugly, you know, I don't like this. But, you know, now that I now that I realize what they were actually going for on that one, you know, it makes a lot more sense and I can appreciate it a lot more. And then his final issue of uh, Final Crisis was gorgeous. I love that. Oh, that yeah. was beautiful. And this, this, again, I mean, this is fantastic. This... This is right up there. It, this is like a transition that I really can appreciate as far as going from Ethan Van Skyver to Ivan Reese. You know, now we have Doug Mankey. This is fantastic. I hope he's on the book for a while. Yeah, and I mean, it's, they picked the perfect issue to do it with, too. Because, I mean, his artwork perfectly evokes, like, that horror movie feel. That's what you want for an issue like this. And for... For a uh, a story that has the kind of tone that Blackest Night's gonna have, you know, you're gonna want your books to look a little scarier, you know? Right. Okay. So now diving into the issue, I like the the parts with him as a kid. You know, it it definitely set him up, you know, for what they wanted to do with him. That that was nice. There's so much little stuff thrown in here that it, it reinforces how over the course of his life, death has been so important to him. Like, like something little, like, he only wants to eat raw meat, you know? He doesn't want anything cooked. He's a, 
he's obsessed with killing and stuffing animals and then displaying them. You know, starting with like a random squirrel and going up to the family dog. Um, yeah, marbles. Yeah, poor marbles. Um, oh my god, I just realized the family lost their marbles and then sent him to therapy. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, something I believe was completely new detail they threw in here was that his costume, his supervillain costume, is actually made out of body bags. Yes. Yeah, that's what he feels most comfortable in. And did you catch that almost throwaway line where he says, where is it? It's as he's putting the mask up to his face. Something that reminded me of home, of my family, of my first kiss. Oh, yeah, definitely. At least once he kissed a corpse. That was his first kiss. Yeah. I liked how they uh, referenced the uh, that Green Lantern Corps series where they were all based on Earth in that embassy kind of house, even if always for, like, that one panel. Well, what you call it, before that, back in the beginning, one, one other thing that I noticed was that, like, they're having, like, steak, right? Yeah. And if you look at the table, it's like it's like steak and potatoes. It's like a real meat and potatoes kind of family. It, it just serves to reinforce the fact that his family was just your average kind of everyday family, and he's just like the black sheep. Now, towards the end, when he's walking through the cemetery towards the mortuary, and there's... where is it? He... He hears a crunch, looks down, he stepped on this black egg. Yes. Well, first of all, I think is nice and fitting for the next panel where he looks up and sees Happy Easter on this family sign. <laughs> but it struck me like, like, an egg is really like the perfect symbol of new life. And here it's been kind of like, by making it black and shattering it, it's been perverted into a symbol of death. Even more than that, like, it's Easter. Now, Easter is the celebration of Jesus coming back to life from the dead. And here you have the black hand crushing that egg. He's, like, crushing the idea of resurrection. And yet, at the same time, you could almost call this issue the character's rebirth. It's like a dark resurrection also. Now, the way I took it is that... You know, up until his abduction, he heard the occasional voice, and he had just a natural draw, like he was naturally drawn to death. But after, like, he got abducted, he got dissected, he died in the process, and then was re was revived through scientific means. And it was the fact that he died, and he had a literal brush with death that kind of, you know, jacked up his connection to it. And that's why he got, like, the the powers and he could start seeing stuff. Is that, like, how you took it, too? I don't know. Well, like, I, I'm trying, like, you, you say that he died and he, they brought him back to life. I, I'm struggling to find that, though. It's in, um, I'm on the page where, uh... I'm there. He's, he's saying, blah, blah, blah. There was nowhere to hide on that plane. Uh, then you got to the next panel, Evil Star saying... It has to be in there, my gremlins, my starlings. And his monologue is saying, like, they found no power inside me, but they did restore my hand. They brought, they brought it back to life. 
Oh, maybe I misread it as me brought it back to life. And with it, the... Right, yeah, they just brought his hand back. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know, like... They don't really explain that too well, and, like, giving this panel with Evil Star, I know, like, I know that they're definitely going to explain it more in the future. Oh, yeah, because I think it was a couple issues ago they had, or maybe even last issue, they had uh, that new Blue Lantern mention how Evil Star is messing with her homeworld, so I think post-Blackest Night there's going to be, like, a space story where they're fighting Evil Star. Yeah, definitely. Now, now going to that that panel again. Now here it's revealed that those gremlins are actually the Starlings. That's like an amazing reveal. I know. And what's even funnier is that two episodes ago, when we were discussing the Orange storyline, we had Corwin on, and he actually made reference to the gremlins. How he was wondering if they were the Starlings. The, the connection was actually being discussed in that episode. I, that was, and then like this, this issue came out like a couple of days later. We have our fingers on the pulse of just Jeff John's pulse. We have, we're, we're on Jeff John's pulse. That's what it is. We're creepy. This, uh, the list of, uh, dead people. Um, going through that really fast. Tula is Aqua Girl. Al Pratt is our man? That was the original Adam. Oh, the Adam. Okay, okay. Sue Dibney was married to Ralph Dibney, Dibney, who was the elongated man. Sue was the big death in Identity Crisis, if you read that. Right. Al Pratt died in Zero Hour. I'm not entirely sure where Tula died. Maybe maybe the first crisis or something. I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Ronnie Raymond's uh, Firestorm, he died in... That was also Identity Crisis. Uh, another one who died in Identity Crisis was Digger, Harkness, um, Captain Boomerang. Ted Cord, the Blue Beetle, that was Infinite Crisis? Yeah, that was the prelude to it, I think. Maxwell Lord from the Justice League International, I guess? Yeah. He died in um, the OMAC Project. I thought he died in... He actually died in an issue of Wonder Woman. Did he? I think so. I think that's when she actually, like, snapped his neck. Okay, because I only read Omac and Trade, and they lumped in a couple things. All right. Uh, That was a big Superman storyline that crossed over with Wonder Woman. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Kendall is Black Condor, I want to say. Yeah, these next three, Ryan Kendall, Black Condor, D. Tyler, Phantom Lady, and... Roy Lincoln, Human Bomb, they all died in the, I think, the first issue of Infinite Crisis. Uh, Roger Hayden is the Psycho Pirate. That was also Infinite Crisis. Vic Sage, the original question. That was 52. Ralph Dibney, the Elongated Man. That was 52. Gene Loring, that is the wife of the Atom, and she also was Eclipse for a little while. And I'm not entirely sure where she died, but I'm pretty sure it was, was it Strange Adventures or one of those space miniseries? I, the most important thing you could say about her character these days is that she's the one that kills, killed Sue Dibney in Identity Crisis. You know, spoiler. (laughs) 
you have Arthur Light, which is Dr. Light. He was killed in Final Crisis Revelations, I want to say. And John Johns, the Martian Manhunter. Yes, in Final Crisis. And then just the, the list of names over on the side. Boston Brand is Dead Man. Tara Markov was Terra. Wesley Dodds was the original Sandman. Jenny Lynn Hayden was Jade. Arthur Curry is Aquaman. Jonathan Kent is the father of Superman, well, the adoptive father of Superman. Bruce Wayne is Batman. Yep. Obviously. Just looking at the other spread, like, there's no one here that people probably don't know other than, um, Tora. I have no idea how to say her last name. Olaf's daughter? I, I don't know. Olaf's daughter? Sure. She, that's Ice. She's, she's Guy's girlfriend. Oh, wait a second. Um, when did Diana Prince die? I wasn't sure about that either, but it it looks like near... It must have been Underworld. Under, yeah, Underworld. Unleashed. Yeah, because it looks like Neuron's killing her, so it must be... Now, about the end of this... Well, wait, wait. Before we get to the very end, like, when he blows his brains out like that... I mean, like, if you look at the page opposite that... Oh my god. <laughs> the ad <laughs> the ad for Wednesday Comics that calls it mind blowing. <laughs> oh my god. Yes. That is beautiful. That is marketing. That's what that yes, is. That's, that's perfect. <gasps> oh my god. Um so so now when when Black Hand gets the ring. He's got, like, the narration is, like, like Ion, like Parallax, like the Predator. You are the embodiment of our core. You are the Black Incarnate. You are our Lord's Herald. Do you take that to mean that the death entity is now inside him? Was the death entity inside Scar up to now? and Or do you think William Hand himself is the death entity? I kind of think, okay, well, I think I may be in the minority on this one, but I really think that he was transformed into the entity itself. Interesting. Like, it could very well be that in order for the black entity to exist, it requires somebody to you know, to kill themselves in order to embody the black. That could fit, because, I mean, if there's one thing this issue reinforces, it's that he's always had a natural connection to death. It was just a matter of getting him to a point in his life where that was strong enough and he was prepared to step into the deep end. You know, because, like, it's confusing because when they, sh- when they say, like Ion, they're actually showing Sodom Yat. Yeah, and then when they say, like, Parallax, it's showing the Parallax entity. Right. And then when they show, like, the Predator, they show the Predator. When they showed that, like, that went, oh my god. <laughs> that my, my brain pretty much exploded two times when I was reading this issue. One, when they showed Evil Star and connected him to the Gremlins. My brain exploded that, that time. 
And, and then somehow my brain was able to reform itself in time to explode again when they reveal the Predator. I, I think William Hand could relate to you, because his, his brain exploded at least once in this issue. I really like the idea of the Black Hand actually being the Black Entity, because it means that he's going to always be around. You know, you can't, you're not going to get rid of an entity. You can just kind of like contain it for a little while. If he was just housing the entity, then all they'd have to do is get it out of him, and then they could put it in anybody. But, you know, if he is the actual entity, you know, like, that's basically going to cement the Black Hand character in the Green Lantern mythos for forevermore as an amazing villain. Plus, like, what better allegory for, you know, the evil men can do than by taking this guy who you said, you know, he came from your garden variety family, you know, almost the quintessential American family, except they have a kind of morbid occupation, and he becomes, like, the embodiment of the concept of death. It's kind of like how every time you watch The Twilight Zone, the most evil thing in the war- in the world always ends up being man. <laughs> now, we should touch on, the with the, uh, the Predator, that... This actually is, it's, it's not entirely something new, cause the Predator, I, I haven't had internet for the last few days, so I couldn't research this, <laughs> but the, as I recall, you know, Star Sapphire used to be treated as an alternate personality for Carol Ferris, and Predator was an alternate personality for Star Sapphire. Now, actually on the forums, Sandgrounder is the one that kinda, the possibility that he was already around, which I, I completely forgot about the character. But after, you know, he posted this link to the, the character and some of the issues that he's been, and I actually went back and was reading them a little bit mm. and, and was also trying to catch up on the history of the Predator. And apparently, like, the Predator was fighting Eclipso, and Eclipso wanted to take over the power of the Predator because Eclipso could tell, like, how much power was actually in the Predator. And I think later on it was revealed something along the lines that the Predator was a, like, a, a parasite from from Maltus. Really? It, like, it actually originated back that far, yeah. Hmm. So, I I think actually a lot of questions were answered in an issue of Underworld Unleashed. I think it's like Total Justice Underworld Unleashed or something along, along those lines, where I think that's where he ended up dying, this this Predator character. I haven't read that, but that would definitely be a good one to, you know, get your hands on to see what that ended up happening to him and how he ended up in this, like, kind of crystal holding chamber well, I love that because it's if if you remember way back with my theory about you know the star sapphires and why they're going they're pretty much going to go through a complete restructuring before too long. This one panel like perfectly encapsulates that because you know what's what's their big Achilles heel? They're wielding one of the most corruptive powers of the emotional spectrum, yet they seem to believe they have a complete handle on it. And here in this one panel, you've got a creature that is pure concentrated love. 
and they have it in a cage. It's like like they they feel like they are in control of love. They they keep it in their box until they want to take it out and use it. Like this, this is gonna go so badly for them. I can't. I just can't wait. <laughs> oh my god! What? Okay, okay. So I'm checking out Wikipedia, and in Extreme Justice numbers ten and eleven. It continues a storyline that had actually been started in the Green Lantern issues just before Coast City was destroyed. It turns out Carol, when she turned into Star Sapphire, became pregnant. And they just kind of like dropped the storyline there and never followed up with it in Green Lantern again. Well, apparently they picked it up again in Extreme Justice and... The Predator and Star Sapphire were completely separated from Carol, and Star Sapphire gave birth to the child, and it was revealed that Carol and the Star Sapphire were two actually completely separate beings, and then the Sapphire was not Carol transformed as had previously been believed, but some sort of energy-based being who inhabited Carol's body. Shortly afterwards, the parents, Predator and Star Sapphire, were killed by Neron, who departed with their baby in his arms in Extreme Justice 10 and 11. So we have no idea what happened to this baby. I don't know. That's 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 weird. <laughs> that's I don't I don't know what else to call that. That's weird. <laughs> I know that I am going to be searching for Extreme Justice number 10 and 11 now. I guess the last thing I want to say about this issue is um. You know, they give us that two-page spread of the all the characters who got to cheat death and come back. And I think I think like like the characters who have been resurrected are gonna end up being like they're gonna be like like either a loophole in the whole thing or they're going to be like something the big bad put in place because on page one two three, you know, Black Hand's internal monologue. He's talking about death, how it's supposed to be forever. He says, or it's supposed to be forever. Death has been cheated many times in this universe because someone allows it. So I'm thinking that like by the end of Blackest Night, we're going to see like Jeff Johns try and put a whole new spin on not just death and resurrection, but, but like past deaths and resurrections in DC Comics. Kind of an in-continuity approach to de-trivialize characters dying and coming back for publicity. It'll be interesting to see how that works out. Alright, so so Blackest Night Zero, this will be really quick, because there's not a lot here. This was a free comic book day issue by Jeff Johns and Ivan Reese. Um, it's basically just a primer for anyone who hasn't read Green Lantern before. You get Hal Jordan overlooking Bruce Wayne's grave, He's thinking back on, you know, he we get we get a, a bunch of cool panels showing how he and Batman have clashed in the past on the Justice League. We get one good little sequence where the two of them are, are actually bonding over, you know, their similar origins because both of them became who they are because they saw their parents die, which you know that's a connection I really never made between the two of them. I don't know why. Um, while Hal's at the cemetery, Barry Allen, the Flash, shows up so that they can 
I don't know, I guess, pay their respects together. And they have a conversation about the nature of life and death. Hal shows Barry a bunch of constructs of dead heroes. They make reference to a bunch of other people that died, Martian Manhunter, Aquaman, and all that. Barry, you know, Barry makes a, makes a really good comment that I like uh, about resurrection, because they're both hoping Batman will get back. He says, something's, something's pride, the door's open. There's a bigger force at work, that much, I believe. And if there's an escape, you can bet Batman's already planning it. And then they zoom off. That's where William Hand digs up Bruce Wayne's skeleton. And we get the Black Lantern Oath for the first time. And then an awesome shot at the end of just him in the darkness, power swirling out of his ring as he's trying to, presumably trying to resurrect Batman. But, you know, the one notable thing I'll say about this page, which I missed the first time through, the smoke coming off the skeleton is making the uh, bat ears. Oh, wow. Yeah, from there it's just, like, bio information on the various cores. So, do you have anything to add about number zero? Uh, not really. Just that the grave of Batman is interesting because it has the top of the, the Batman symbol as the top of his grave. Yeah, it's, it's kind of subtle, too. Yes. I will say, I think the first two pages of this thing are, like, a really nice sequence by themselves. Like, I don't know, I just like it. I loved the uh, the visual effects on Barry, because he can't stand still. And, like, every single time they draw him, you always have him, you know, facing in one direction. But there's a blur that shows, like, like half a second before he was just looking the exact opposite way or standing somewhere else. Uh, the one, the one thing that I was kind of curious about, and they never actually, they haven't actually explained this yet, but Batman's skull, Bruce Wayne, the eyes are emanating a green energy. I've seen that in a couple of places now. I mean, do you think that is going to have some sort of significance at some point? It could, and we can get. That's definitely a point to raise on the next for Black Knight one. Um, but I, at the time, I think I just took it as your general, like, you know, your, your typical, like, necrotic energy creeping out of a skull, you know? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you say so. Like the kind you would find at your local grocer, you know? <gasps> right. Definitely. Yes, yes, definitely. Okay, so, shall we move on to Blackest Night number one? The main event, Yes. Okay, so so uh, Blackest Night number one issue starts out with the Black Hands grabbing Batman's skull, and he's listening to the voice of his master. All of a sudden, he's just kind of like sucking the energy off of Batman's skull, while the major Black Lantern is like shooting out rings, black rings, all over the universe. Now, 24 hours later, which is a nice nod to the whole 24-hour recharge thing. Huh, I missed that. They flash to Coast City, where it's the anniversary of Superman's death, which, even though Superman has come back to life, they use the day for, like, remembrance of heroes that have died in the past. You have the Green Lanterns of Earth flying around Coast City, they're kind of like just uh, reminiscing about everybody that's, you know, passed on, who they've lost, um, Abin Sir, Hal Jordan's father, 
the entire city of Coast City, you know, and, and numerous loved ones along the way. You know, you get a bunch of other clips of other heroes that are also paying homage to people, heroes that have died in the past. You got a shot of uh, Clark Kent and his family and the new Firestorm, Jason. Rush. Rush. And then you go to Valhalla Cemetery, which I don't know if I've actually heard of this place before. I feel like I have. I I don't think they made it up for this. Well, in any case, it's this cemetery where they bury all the heroes, basically. So it's like a like this mega turnout of the Justice Society and I don't know numerous other characters that just want to pay homage to other people that are buried there, which. They actually say that that cemetery is restricted to basically superheroes whose identities were known. If the identity was still secret, then they're buried in their hometown with, you know, near their families. So, you know, you just keep going through and you see all these heroes paying tribute on this day. Then all of a sudden you flash to Alfred, who is going to pay homage to Batman, and he realizes that Bruce's grave has been desecrated. And his skull is missing. Who would take Batman's skull? And more importantly, how would they know that it was Batman's skull to take? But we continue on. Hal is giving Barry kind of a rundown on all the villains that have died since he's been gone. Because they have a giant, like, holding cell where they're holding all the dead bodies. And they, you know, he can't show them a list of all of the heroes that have died because they're buried all throughout wherever. So he shows them a ring construct of this, like, army of dead heroes that have passed on since Barry's been gone. Then we flash to Hawkman and Hawkgirl. Hawkman is getting a phone call from Ray Palmer, the Atom, who kind of wants some friends to go with him to his now-deceased wife, Jean Loring, who was Eclipso and also killed Sue Dibney. Hawkman wants no part of it. He's really good friends with Ray Palmer, but but he doesn't like Gene Loring at all. So he's not going to go. Now we flash to Oa, where you have the Guardians of the Universe. They're kind of like looking out and seeing that the War of Light, which they had desperately wanted to stop, is going on regardless. And since they can't prevent it now they want to fight it but they're not going to be able to fight it because that's when scar chooses to reveal her true allegiances to the power of the black she kills one guardian that's one more immortal that's dead Mm -hmm. and she like bites into his neck he's bleeding yellow blood and his green heart is shriveled and has no emotion left in it The rest of the Guardians are trying to take out Scar, but since they don't have any power of emotion left whatsoever, they're pretty much powerless to stop her. So they end up all getting, like, immobilized with Scar's black goo. And at the same time, more and more black rings are going out all over the place. Tons and tons of black rings crash through into the Green Lantern crypts and reanimate every dead Green Lantern. It's like an army of them now. There's a lot of armies going on right now, or possible armies. Martian Manhunter is resurrected as a Black Lantern. 
and he comes after Hal and Barry, saying that they should both be dead. Then we get to the closing scene with Hawkman and Hawkgirl again, and as they're kind of discussing their current relationship status, they are ambushed by Ralph and Sue Dibney, Ralph being the elongated man, and they die. They're totally murdered. (laughs) And... They're totally murdered. (laughs) Yes, they're totally murdered, and they have their hearts ripped out. And as they kind of drain their hearts of the energy that was in them, the black ring's power level is announced that it goes up 0.01% for each heart. And the energy kind of goes into this communal source because... They each have a heart, and it just kind of gives, like, a running total for the energy. And then you cue the black hand, and he's still holding Batman's skull, and two black rings pop out of the skull to bring Hawkman and Hawkgirl back to life as Black Lanterns. And that's it. Okay, wait, wait, before before you say anything, before you say anything. Okay. You seem to know whether or not I like a book from the way that I review it. The more bored you sound during your synopsis is usually a tell. (laughs) (laughs) So with this? With this? I I don't know, because it's black as night. So I can't imagine you didn't. <laughs> so maybe, maybe you just weren't prepared to review. I don't know. Which is it? Are you disappointed or lazy? Which is it? <laughs> oh no, I liked it a lot. I definitely liked it a lot. What are your thoughts? My thoughts, like overall in general, I really did not know what to expect going in here. And I think the first issue of Sinestro War made me think it was going to be bigger all at once. So I'm going through here. And the whole, almost the whole way through, it's like, okay, I know this already, okay, I've seen this, okay, know this already. And then page 36 hits with, with, with the reveal of Ralph and Sue. And that was my, like, holy freaking god moment of the issue. And, like, those, that whole last scene was just, like, the craziest thing in the world. And I actually got more out of it the second read-through than I did the first, because I definitely liked it more the second time around. I think the the moment that that really, like, did it for me was when Scar finally revealed herself to the rest of the Guardians. You know, like, she, she just kind of, like, tears into one of them, and then she just, like, you know, oozes out some sort of goo to just immobilize all the rest of the Guardians. It's like, that's it. They're all off the table until the end of Blackest Night, basically. So, you know, whatever happens to the Green Lanterns, they ain't going to have the Guardians to help bail them out. The goo scar is vomiting out looks kind of like hair. So (laughs) that made it even creepier for me. It's like, oh my god, she's vomiting like spaghetti hair. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) At the beginning of this, on that page where, you know, the central battery is vomiting out Black Rings... When Black Hand is saying you are connected to them all as he like like makes out with Batman's skull, is he talking to Batman's skull or is he still talking to death? 
I think he's talking to Batman's skull at that point. Because, yeah, because he's still carrying it around by the end. So it's like... Because the, the big question mark... Well, not even the big question mark, but one of the big questions about this whole thing is, like, could Batman even become a Black Lantern since, you know, we're not even sure if he... Is he really alive or dead or both or neither? Or where is he? When is he right now? Because after Final Crisis, no, nobody freaking knows. <laughs> right. Well... I think well, that that's going to be that's going to play like a major part into the story, and like this whole the saying you are connected to them all and the fact that he's sucking energy off of his skull like we we don't have any idea why that is what's going on with that is that energy yeah definitely it, it's like it's like the 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 dark smoke that's like kind of like just seeping off oh because I thought he was just lapping up some like. Cemetery sludge or something. Oh no no that's that's uh that's death death air. Death air. That's what zombies breathe. What you call it? Like now I was thinking back to to Final Crisis, and I remember when Julian Lytle was on the CGS episode where they were discussing that. Yeah yeah. And yeah, yeah Julian Lytle. He he was mentioning how when you get hit by Omega's by Darkseed's Omega beams, you kind of like go through like this living death, where you keep on living and dying over and over again. Yeah, I think it's like every possible death you could have, you experience or something like that. Right. Yeah. So you have that. You have that concept right there, and you also have the fact that. They keep on saying that, you know, Batman may not actually be dead, but it definitely looks like Batman's dead. So, I mean, like, between between all that, it could very well be that Batman is either in some kind of, like, nether state, which is not allowing him to cross over fully, but he still has one foot in, you know, in the living so that his skull can be like a conduit between death and life. Maybe. I don't know. That's... I don't know either. There's so much more bat stuff in this than I thought there would be. <laughs> oh, did you catch, um, during the flashback at the beginning, John and Katma are fighting Predator? Yes, yeah. Yeah, that was a, definitely a nice touch. Yeah, they flat out recreated a lot of panels for the for these flashbacks, which I appreciated. Like, the scene of Kyle finding Alex dead... The the shot of John, like I remember that shot of John Stewart finding that bomb on Zanshi. The bomb one of guy kissing ice. That's from like the epilogue issue to the Sinestro War. So that's I like it when they they uh, go back and redo significant shots like that. Did we know before this that Morrow, the Crypt Keeper, was from Sector Six Six Six? You know, I was thinking about that, and I'm not really sure. Like, they did that whole, you know, story with him in the secret files. Yeah. I just don't remember if they said that he was, that was his sector or not. And he showed up again in, uh, the first time we saw Sarek, so... I don't know, it might have come up. Wait, Green Lantern secret files? Yeah. So, keep talking for a second. Okay. Um, if there's two things Jeff Johns likes, it's parades and having Hal talk to Barry... Because if you read, if you read Blackest Night One 
and Blackest Night Zero, and, like, the first or second issue of Flash Rebirth, it's it's all, like, Hal, Hal Jordan and Barry Allen having, like, almost the same conversation three different ways, which, you know, I'm not really complaining about, because I like seeing those two paired together, I like it when they talk about stuff, but it's, it's just so weird to say it, see it happen three times, almost in a row, in, like, three books that he wrote in... in I don't know. It was just it. It struck me a little as a little funny when I saw them, like hanging out in this issue. And he even had a uh, freaking them meeting at a parade during Flash Rebirth. And here it is in another one in this issue. So it turns out that Morrow was revealed to be from Sector Six 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 in the Secret Files in his uh, little uh, in his little bio thing. Huh. I wonder if he's gonna become important, cause I mean, they're gonna have to go there. I mean, he might be like good as a guide or something. Yeah, the only thing that's weird is that I thought every living creature was killed in Sector 666. Well, that, de- I guess that depends on like, when he left to join the Corps. Cause I mean, if they, if they take him, oh wait, no, that actually, actually, yeah, cause that is, that is after. Yeah, that will, the, the whole 666 thing happened, in the day of the Manhunters. Yeah. So he could have left. Maybe he, like, just migrated out of his sector before that happened and then eventually found his way to the Green Lantern Corps. So we we really don't know how long-lived his species is. Or it could be that, yeah, it's most likely that there, he's well, his race is from another sector and they move there after the wipeout. Hmm. Now, let me ask you this, because this is something that was going through my mind as I read it. Because, I mean, Jeff Johns has even said that the big difference between this and Sinestro War is that that was a purely Green Lantern story, and this is more of a DC Universe story. As you were reading this, did you read it as a Green Lantern story, or more as like a DC Universe event that just happens to have a lot of Green Lantern stuff in it? Yeah, I think Blackest Night number one definitely felt more DC than Green, than just Green Lantern. Do you think that hurt it, considering that everything leading up to it to this point has been almost entirely Green Lantern? Uh, no, no, not at all, because I know that we're going to be getting a lot of stuff from the Green Lantern title. We're going to be getting a lot more stuff from the Green Lantern core title. And not to mention the other Blackest Night tie-in minis. But I think it's definitely fitting that the Blackest Night, you know, main series would deal with everything altogether. So it's going to have some aspects of Green Lantern. But then it's also going to be showing the repercussions throughout the rest of the DCU. I will tell you, something that I kind of thought of as a negative the first time through, and then I started to appreciate it the second read, was like, like first off, I am really, really glad that Ivan Reese is drawing this. Cause I love his art. I miss him on Green Lantern. But, like, something about, like, I think he's, his art is at its best when he has a lot of room to play with, you know? So when I see this book, like, it's... It, a lot of the panels in here, it's like the pages are almost claustrophobic. There's so many panels on most pages, and there's so much going on. Like, everything is filled. Right. And at first, uh, that kind of 
detracted from my ability to enjoy it. But then on my second read-through, I started noticing how, like, all right, how's it open with, like, a giant, you know, two-page splash of, like, bright skies and Green Lanterns flying around, and everybody's happy, and it's daylight, there's a parade. And as you get further into the story, everything gets tighter and, again, more claustrophobic, and it gets to a point where they only really open it up again to show you something really horrifying. So it's like, yeah, you have room, but the room is filled with like something something like an army of black lanterns or, you know, Ralph and Sue Dibney. It it's it's kinda like how you say Howard Mackey and Patrick Gleason know how to they know how to draw something disgusting looking when it's appropriate for the story. Right. I think that's the same kind of mindset that went into you know, choosing how how much to almost clutter up the panels and when to do it. Like, especially in this issue where everything, like, everything's going to hell, this is when you kind of want to get that feeling of, you know, all right, there's really nowhere to run, and there's so much happening at once, you can't get a handle on it, and but the bad guys are at your doorstep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. As you say that, like, I'm looking through, and I could definitely see that. I agree. Especially, like, with that one page where it's just, like, all slivers. Yeah. And then the very next page is, like, this massive two-page spread of an army of Black Lanterns. They gave Guy the best line in the issue. (laughs) (laughs) What the bleep? And just looking at that spread, like, I can't pick out all of them off the top of my head, but, um, some of the ones I do see... Like, obviously, you got, like, you got Buzzed and Keon and Katmatui right in the middle there. Right. And you got, uh, Jack That's T. Chance. Chance. There's Chip, front, almost front and center, right next to Katma. Yep. And am I mistaken, or on the far left, is that that puffball face dude that got his head blown out? <laughs> Yes, yeah. <laughs> I, I think his name is uh, Arcs or something like that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, we I, we figured he'd be back. Yeah, uh, and there's just so many of these characters I haven't seen or thought about in a long time. It's gonna make it fun as the seri- series progresses to to just go through and pick out. I'm I'm almost ashamed that I didn't catch it. Someone on the forum did right above Katma's head. Uh, that woman, that's that's Adara. That's that's the first alien Green Lantern that Kyle met. That's also the first alien gr- Green Lantern I ever really read about. From like, I want to say almost like fifty six or fifty seven of of that series, where he's like stranded out in space. He can't find Earth, but he finds an ex Green Lantern who tries to steal his ring and like continue her life as normal, but. You know, it was DNA locked to him, so she ended up taking her own life, because there's no going back. If for the longest time, that was the only Alien Green Lantern story I had exposure to. Oh, that's her right there, like right above, or right below the dude that has got, like, the fin coming out of his head? Yep, I think that's her. I don't think so. I think it is, because I look back, and that's, like, that's what she was wearing. I thought she had long hair. No. Oh, now I have to go check. Um, what did you think? As long as we're on the artwork, what did you think about the artwork overall here? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, it was it was great artwork. It's it's so awesome that we have a DC event, and it's I mean look at the creative team. 
It's Jeff Johns, Ivan Reese, Eau Claire Albert. I wish this thing was colored by Ney Rafino, just because then it would be like the entire creative team of Green Lantern in charge of DC's main event. Who actually is coloring it? It is... I just looked at it, too. It is... Alex Sinclair, which I... I know the name, I just don't... I can't think of what he colored off the top of my head. But, I mean, I mean, still, how awesome is it that, like, anybody who likes this book, we can point at it and say, yeah, if you like this, these exact same people did Green Lantern for, like, five years. Go read that. <laughs> One thing that I really, really liked, I, I mean, like, really, really liked, and this is totally shocking for me because I typically don't like Hawkman and Hawkgirl. Yeah. Like... This whole concept as far as Kendra has, like, she has been in love with Hawkman the whole time, but she's been denying those feelings because she knows that every time they, you know, kind of, you know, do fall in love, they both die. I've never really cared about Hawkman before. I mean, I, I know the order is probably so incredibly different, but growing up, it always bothered me, like... Like, I thought his symbol was a ripoff of the Thundercats symbol, so I immediately wrote off the character. <laughs> nice. But yeah, I like that. Like, I like the fact that... Well, I mean, they're most likely coming back just because they're inherently reincarnated characters. But, I mean, seeing... I mean, Kendra was dead, but Carter? Like, he was still alive when they ripped his heart out. That was That was just freaking insane. Well, I think that's that's what you have to do in order to power up the the, the black ring. You know, it's got to be a, like a still beating heart. Now, what about this apparent ability for Black Lanterns to see emotion in like the literal sense? It's just pretty cool. Yeah, it could be something as simple as you know they're outside of the emotional spectrum. They want they need to devour emotion. So, like, I mean, it's the same as if if there's a bowl of fruit on the table, you can look at it and pick out, like, that's an apple, and that's a grape. They can see who's full of love and who's full of hate and who's full of, you know, hope and who's full of crap and who's, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Like, in actuality, in Green Lantern number 44, which... I have not read. Yeah. I'm not going to spoil anything but they kind of give, like, a slight little clue as to why they can see people in emotional, like, color vision, if you will. It's like the, the next stage of spectrovision. <laughs> okay, so when they they take Hawkman's heart, they take Hawkgirl's heart. Yes. Su- Sue's got one heart, Ralph's got the other. Yes. As they're draining the heart of its energy or life or whatever, the rings announce that it's gone up by .01 for the first one, and then it's up to .02 for the second one. Now, since it's two different people that are, you know, draining the hearts into two different rings, and it's giving a cumulative amount of energy, then I took that to mean that they're basically draining this energy into some sort of pool source to 
be used by whoever is controlling the Black Lanterns. That makes, you know, perfect sense to me. It makes me wonder, though, other than animating the dead and acting like uh, an emotional siphon, do you think the Black Rings can do anything? Because we got Ralph here, who's, you know, he's fighting entirely with his elongated man powers. And Sue, you know, she killed Kendra, or she mortally wounded Kendra, just by stabbing her through the back with a spear. Right. So it makes me wonder, like, do the rings themselves have any, like, offensive power? Or is it just, like, if you get too close, they'll start draining your life or something? Yeah, like, I I actually think that the power of the, the ring itself is mostly to bring you back to life, but, you know, it, it may also give you the ability to open a hole to into somebody's chest to uh, be able to take out the heart. I mean, it, cer- it certainly gels perfectly with what Black Hand's powers are as of, like, Green Lantern number six, where he was going around and he was, like, absorbing energy and life force from pretty much everything around him. Well, I think the Black Hand's powers were, like, a lot more pronounced that he actually could just drain by waving his hand near it. Like, because here, they they definitely can't do that. If they did that, they, would, they wouldn't have needed to combat these people at all. They actually literally had to rip out their hearts. Which I think is a much better visual for what they're going for anyway. Man, I love, I love, love the fact that they're not mindless zombies. I can't stress that enough. Like, they have their memories, they seem to have some version of their personalities. And, and really, that's like the whole point of even doing this. Like, like you're only going to bring them back if it's going to resonate emotionally with these people. And the best way to do that is for you to be able to, like, have to face these people and them to know who you are and that in some cases you didn't stop them from dying. Oh, um, yeah, the other thing that I, I did want to bring up, looking at who they are actually bringing back to life for, you know, as far as Black Lanterns go, mm-hmm. a lot of them are like heroes that have died, you know, like Elongated Man. So when he comes back, he's got his, you know, elongation powers. You know what I'm saying? Like, as far as, like, to me, it would make more sense to bring somebody back that had powers than to just bring back... Captain Boomerang? (laughs) Well, I mean, Captain Boomerang had, like, his, you know, boomerang abilities or whatever. Like, Human Bomb had his explosion powers. I think Captain Boomerang just had trick boomerangs. I don't know. Yeah, you may be right. I can't remember where I've read it or heard it or whatever, but there's supposed to be, like, a finite number of black rings for some reason. Yeah. It's like, I don't know what the reason is for that. I don't know if every single black lantern we're seeing has been specifically chosen for some reason or another. I think maybe the the idea of the limited amount of black rings is just to make the point that they're not going to be resurrecting everybody that's dead everywhere. That's true. Something I liked a lot, the very fact that they showed the villain cemetery answered a question for me, and that question was, 
with Barry already back and Bart already back, who the hell are they going to bring back for the Flash tie-in miniseries to this? And it never occurred to me just how many Flash rogues there have been and just how many villains in general might be like... Because that cemetery, like, that cemetery is going to get up and walk out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you also got Max Mercury, you got Johnny Quick. Uh, if you are following, what is it, Flash Rebirth? Yeah. Then there's a couple more speedsters over there that are uh, kind of kicking off. Yeah. Oh man, in the 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 Titans panel, right over Bart's shoulder is Marvin, who got like mauled and eaten by Wonder Dog. Oh, is that who that was? Yeah, with the with the big M. Okay, okay, yeah, because like I was wondering who that was. I'm like, you know, I know that I should know who that is, but who is that? Uh, you don't recognize the shirt from Super Friends? Come on. Come on. Oh, I forgot. Oh, shoot. Oh, now I see. Because his sister is right in front of the statue. Oh, yeah, she is right there. I didn't even notice She's, that. She's uh, in the wheelchair, yeah. Yeah, Wendy. Okay. And you have Geoforce looking up at the statue of Terra. Yeah. Because they're brother and sister, yeah. And, uh, another thing. I think I posted this on the forum once or twice. I cannot wait to see the Violet Lanterns just flip the hell out because Black Lanterns are literally, literally ripping people's hearts out and crushing them. <laughs> <laughs> like, lit- I can't even... Like, I've, I'm surprised at how interested I am in the Star Sapphires. I figured, like, I would care the least about them, but, like, they're... Like, for a while now, they're the ones I've wanted to see something from the most, just because there's so much potential right there. It's just so slightly below the surface. Well, I mean, even more than that, what's really going to be interesting is when the Black Lanterns start bringing back the loved ones that died that made the Star Sapphires become Star Sapphires. Oh, yeah, Miri seeing Carrot again. Oh, man. Yeah, well, yeah, because the the whole point of them joining the Star Sapphire Corps was to fill the hole in their heart. Now, if all of a sudden their loved ones are coming back to life, how is that going to affect their loyalties? I could see a good chunk of Star Sapphires becoming Red Lanterns, honestly. Because, like... It's, it's, when you have that kind of loss, it's even, it's really, I might even be getting this from an interview, I don't remember, I've read so many of them, <laughs> but when you have that kind of loss, it's like, it, it's, it's basically like, how does the wind blow, you know, you could, you could either feel extreme sorrow for the loss and become a candidate for a violet ring, or you could just get filled with rage at the lost and, at the loss and, be a candidate for a red ring, so I wouldn't be surprised if we get some more core jumping out of this. Oh, one more thing I wanted to point out. When they show the shot of Valhalla Cemetery, yes, and you have that huge amount of heroes all in there, yes. do you notice the hero that is front and center? Obsidian? Yes. Yeah. Aw, oh, man. I can't wait to see what goes on in the JSA one. Yeah. What are Obsidian's actual powers? Do we 
know the actual definition of them? He has a link to, I I think it's called the Shadow Realm, where it's, it's just this like almost dimension made of darkness. I think like do you know the character the Shade? He's a villain. He was in heavily in uh, James Robinson's Starman. I know of him. Like the Shade draws his power from the same place. What about Shadow Thief? I don't know. I really don't know much about Shadow Thief. It'll be interesting, because, like, Obsidian, like, I, I, I think it's for the last couple of years he's been portrayed as mostly as just, like, this, like, wispy shadow, as opposed to, like, beforehand where he was portrayed as, like, a regular person in a costume that could shoot, you know, black energy kind of from his body. Yeah, he kind of retreated into that shadowy kind of realm. I just thought it was interesting that since he was, like, you know, right up front like that, if it has some kind of significance for Blackest Night. Do you think we're going to see Alex, Kyle's uh, first girlfriend that we were introduced to? I hope so. Me too, because, I mean, they haven't brought her up in a very long time, and then they brought her up here. I mean, I mean, I guess I guess since it's Jeff Johns and it showed up in the first issue, that means they're going to. That would be cool. Have we exhausted our conversation? I think we have. I mean, the last note I have is that uh, they really, really, really want us to buy the game Infamous for the PlayStation 3. Go to the Aquaman page in this thing. The Aquaman page. Yeah, where, um, you know, Tempest and, what's her name, Mira, Mrs. Aquaman. Yeah, see the ad right there? Yeah. Now turn the page. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, the exact same thing happened in Green Lantern 43, too. <laughs> if I had a PlayStation 3, I would probably look into getting it. Well, which which color scheme should we run? Uh, 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 both. <laughs> well, I guess the last last thing I want to ask, between, like, the, the storage locker of villains that are dead and all the graves and all the big shots of dead people we saw, did anybody, like, jump out at you? It was like, oh, the, the crap, they might be in this. When... How did the kind of projection of all the heroes that had died to Barry? I see one over to the right. Is that the Phantom? The one, like, right next to Barry's eye? Yeah. It it really looks like it. I I almost want to say it's the first Blue Beetle. That's what I was thinking. I mean, I guess it could be him, too. Or it could be somebody else that we're not thinking of. But um, there was that, and Aztec at the bottom of the page. Yeah, I totally forgot he died. Yeah. Um, definitely uh, Hawk, the original Hawk and Call. I, I'm dying to know what that, what's going on with that. They better bring in Vibe. I want a disco dancing Black Lantern zombie, goddammit. <laughs> Did they show Triumph in this? Triumph. Which one was he? He was, uh, he was created in Zero Hour. Was he a comical dog? No. I can't even think of what he looks like. Oh, hey, is that, um, is that Pariah? Yes. Oh, wait, where? Uh, Barry's nose. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, yeah. That's him. Right next to him is Buana Beast. Yeah. Which, I guess there's been more than one, because I thought he was alive in this... In Green Lantern. 
Who's the guy right underneath Hal's ring? Oh, that that's uh that's Osiris. Oh wow. Yeah, Black Adam's little brother-in-law, Isis's brother. I didn't realize it at first, but then I was trying to figure out what kind of symbol he had, and it's the lightning bolt. That's crazy. I didn't realize Airwave was dead. Which one's Airwave? Um, Barry's chin. Barry is Barry's face is my only landmark. <laughs> That's actually what was it? Hal's cousin or something? His his name is also Hal Jordan for some uncreative reason. <laughs> Okie doke. Yeah. So overall, good first issue, which I think gets better if you read it a second time. I would agree. I would say it's definitely a good introduction issue. How would you say this rates as far as accessibility? That's something I was actually, I have forgotten to bring up. I'm, I'm almost, uh, how did I say, like, like, I wonder how well this walks the line. Because, I mean, obviously, you and me, like, we get all this, because we've been reading Green Lantern for the last, like, five years as this current series has been running. <laughs> Longer than that. Yeah, well, yeah, but I mean, for for the stuff that's immediately relevant that they've been using to build. Right. But yeah. for someone who's picking this up, I mean, for someone who's picking this up who hasn't read any of that, I think it gives you the bullet points of what you need to know. Because, I mean, basically the issue is, this is who's dead, this is who's, who they left behind, This is that's why it'll matter when they're Black Lanterns. And then it shows, like, all sorts of, like, like, it almost gives nods to what's been going on in Green Lantern. I, I mean, I felt like, I wish I, we saw a lot more of the War of Light. Because, I mean, we got that, that one page, or was it a two-page spread with the Guardians making those orbs? Well, yeah, it's like one and a half page spread, and then the page before it also. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I wanted to see, like, you know, a little, like, interlude on Odom. And maybe, like, a page where we see, you know, the the Red Lanterns doing stuff. I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like in that respect, it might not come off as important as it is in the grand scheme of things. But if you're picking up this issue by itself without any of the stuff that came before, I think you could definitely tell what's going on. I don't think you would be lost. My thoughts are that if you are not, if you have not been following Green Lantern, if you haven't been following DC for the past couple of years, then if you want to pick this book up, you kind of have to pick it up realizing that this issue is going to give you the basic gist of what's going on so that you will be somewhat up to speed enough to follow the rest of the story but know that they're not going to be giving you all the details that you're going to need. Because I've heard some people mention how, you know, that Jeff Johns is, you know, completely wrapped up in continuity and that if you haven't been following DC and you tried to read this, then you'd be completely lost. But I completely disagree with that because, like, you don't need to know about all these different characters. You just need to know the information that they're telling you about these characters. If you want to know about these characters, then the information is definitely out there for you to find it. But I don't think it's necessary to understand and appreciate this story. 
And I also think that the fact that they only gave you, like, a quick glimpse of the other cores fighting in the War of Light is because since they are kind of introducing new people to this whole series, if they haven't been following Green Lantern, then the first things that they're going to want to do are introduce first the, the Black Lanterns because that's the whole setting you know, that's the whole, the main point of the book. And then you're going to want to show the Green Lanterns. Because those are the two concepts that they're most mostly going to be focusing on, mostly going to be familiar with. And just giving them a slight taste of the fact that there is a blue core out there, there is a violet core out there and red and everybody else. They're going to be curious about it. And they're not going to get, like, a full-on battle on Odom and wonder, okay, what the hell is going on here? Who are these guys? I've never heard of these guys. There are blue rings out there also. You know, how come I didn't find out about this beforehand? Like, this is your introduction to that concept. And that way, next issue, they can do a lot more with that. Yeah, and that makes sense. I'm, But, like, as as a reader who's been on with it for this long, I did feel kind of disappointed that, like, like pretty much the only thing that I feel was essential that got gypped out of this issue almost was was the emotional spectrum. Because, I mean, it's it's really doesn't even come up at all, except for that two pages with the Guardians. And then it's like, we failed. Well, what the hell did they fail at? Oh, the War of Light is erupted. What the hell is the War of Light, and where are we looking at here? And then it moves on. And, you know, obviously it's it's only the first issue, so like, there's only so much you can complain about that. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think that, that that's being saved for the second issue and on. It definitely takes me back to uh, something Jeff Johns... I read too many articles. <laughs> it, it definitely takes me back to something Jeff Johns said on Newsarama, where, which is... um. If you want to read just Blackest Night 1 through 8, you can do that. You'll get everything you need to know. But if you're reading Green Lantern or Green Lantern Corps, you're going to have to read Blackest Night. And he structured it that way because, frankly, if you're reading those two books, you're probably going to be, you're most likely going to be reading this anyway. Right. I just hope, like, what I don't want to see is I don't want to see all of the important emotional spectrum core stuff go on in the two, I'll, I'll call them support books, because, like, the Green Lantern, Green Lantern core ongoings, while they're only kind of sporadically in the miniseries, you know? I wanted them to be a huge part of this whole thing. I think what we're going to end up seeing is in the support books, as you say, we're going to see the actual battles, like the full-on battles between the different color cores. And in Blackest Night, it may focus more on the outcomes as opposed to, you know, the in-progress battles. And, you know, I I should say, like, I have complete trust in Jeff Johns for this because, I mean, I, I maintain to this day that anyone could pick up and read... Infinite Crisis went through what was it seven issues and get it perfectly fine by itself. Because I mean, I read it, I thought it was fine by itself, but I decided I had a control group. I had a friend in college with me at the time who 
the only DC he ever read in, like, years was Infinite Crisis 1 through 7, and the only questions he had was, like, was stuff that they didn't even reveal to longtime fans yet. So, so I'm going into this, this event with that kind of thing in mind. Like, that's how Jeff Johns writes. Okay. And now that we are running super long, I think maybe we should just skip the second break and head right into the closing of the show. Yeah, why not? Well, you know, there's there's so much to talk about considering so little happened. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm hesitant. I don't even know if I should. We should call this like a light issue or not. I mean, it doesn't seem like a lot happened, but I guess it did. Yeah. It's a setup issue. Yeah, it's definitely building a lot differently than Sinestro War did. So you know. Yeah. To keep that in mind, don't go into expecting it to be like all fireworks and explosions from the first minute on. Although once you hit page 36... (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, if you want to write us, we are at lanterncast at gmail.com. We have a forum at thecomicforums.com. Scroll on down to lanterncast. It's all alphabetical. We have a webpage at lanterncast.com you can go there and there's a link that you can click on that will also bring you to the forums it also has all of our episodes or you can get our episodes off of iTunes right? yes Yay. <laughs> if you want to help us out you can leave a review there give us some stars or whatever have we gotten any iTunes reviews? we had them on our last the last time we were on iTunes. Oh. Since then, I think we may have gotten a couple. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so let's know what you think. Help people find the show. Yeah, yeah, definitely post on the forums. Let us know if you like this, if you didn't like it. And uh, maybe we'll read some comments on the Blackest Night number two episode. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm Jim, showing out on the forums. And I'm Dan. I go by Gland on the forums. Night, everybody. Why'd I ever have to say words of shame? Words I should never say again. Why'd you ever have to read between the lines? Creating stories that should have been all left behind. Why'd you ever have to hear my?